right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and prefer not to disclose, back to the Undressing Underground Podcast. I guess I can't make my voice go any lower. Anyway. Today on the show is Daily Grindhouse writer and No Budget Nightmares podcaster, Doug Tilly. We talk about his latest, God, I will learn to speak someday, I swear, and my interviews will be uh, better for it. I'll learn to articulate and I'll learn to think things through before I fucking say them. It's going to happen, I swear to God. Or whoever. Anyway, today, Doug Tilly, that guy, we talk about uh, his latest podcast and latest obsession, actor Eric Roberts, and the podcast being Eric Roberts is the fucking man. So, if you don't know who Eric Roberts is, like I didn't, you will find out. You will find out that you probably should know him, that you probably do know him, and that you might like to hear more about him on Doug's podcast. So, what else? Today's episode is pretty long, because Doug and I talked maybe three or four weeks ago after he added me on Twitter for some reason. I don't remember what happened, but he, uh, yeah, he added me. I saw about his podcast. I asked if he wanted to talk. He said, sure. And then a few hours later, we talked. And then about a month went by because I got to talk to that webcam dominatrix and, uh, the UFO guy, and Doug just isn't that interesting, so he had to wait. So I called him back earlier this week, and we caught back about the podcast, what it is, what it's become, and where he hopes to go with it, and what the fuck he's been doing on Twitter. Uh, so there'll be a brief break. I'll just play the Eric vs. the Fucking Man theme song between the two segments, and it'll go right back into that, and then we'll talk again at the back end of this about next week and we'll hear a uh, a voicemail I guess and then I'll tell you how to give me money and reach out to the podcast and send me suggestions so anyway without further ado here is Doug Tilly okay can you hear me yes Yes. Unfortunately, you won't be able to see me because I actually don't have a camera on this uh, computer. But okay. hopefully the voice will be enough if that's okay. I'm assuming that's not your picture, though. Uh, not that anyone listening will give a shit, but that's actually a picture of uh, the late Rudy Ray Moore, uh, mm-hmm. who unfortunately left us a few years back. But that's just a nerdy sidetrack. <laughs> <laughs> that's all this is, isn't it? Uh, well, that, that's up to you. We'll see. Oh, I guess so. Um, so I, I felt right before I talked to you, or like at least 20 minutes ago, I found that Eric Roberts has a website that looks like it's still from the late 90s, maybe. Have you seen it? <laughs> I have. Of course I've seen it, right? I mean, it's, it's supposed to be what I, what I know now. Um, <laughs> 
I mean, there's so many kind of abandoned celebrity websites, but the official ones that <laughs> look like fan ones, I mean, it looks to me like it might even have been a fan site that somehow became official at some point, but who knows? You have to wonder. I mean, he's not really that big of an actor. I mean, I don't know how he, how he was before, but like, I don't know. Did you look at his forum at all? <laughs> No, I wouldn't oh dare. God. I suppose I should try to promote there, but that would just put me one closer, one step closer to the idea of Eric Roberts discovering that I've created a podcast about him, and oh. that would be the most <laughs> horrifying thing that could ever happen. And I figure it's eventually going to happen, and yeah, I'm not going to stop. Google alerts. <laughs> he must I do. A, I, yeah. I have an Eric Roberts Google alert. But, I mean, he must too. I mean, there's no way. Like, he needs – I mean, if he uses computers. I don't know if he actually uses computers or not, actually. <laughs> He's on Twitter. Oh, yeah. So he must. Use, yeah, absolutely. Maybe he just uses his smartphone. I know he's on Twitter. <laughs> I follow him on Twitter. It's the most interesting Twitter account because it's very laid back. He obviously is very conscientious about animal rights and that sort of thing, and which is you know good. It's nice to know that he has he has a conscience about things. Uh, but like a couple of nights ago, there was the premiere of this NBC series. I think it's called Aquarius with David Duchovny stars in it. Oh yeah. And he tweeted like. 30 times in an hour about how great Aquarius is and how wonderful <laughs> David Duchovny is. And I'm like, I don't know what is going on in this man's head. And that's, I guess that's just part of the reason that I do what I do, at least for now. I mean, it's better than James Woods, I guess. Can you, can you, I mean, my respect level for James Woods, I, I wish he never went on Twitter. Honestly. I know. Just, just <laughs> to discover the kind of person he actually is, it just, it, crushes every part of me. Now, I know every listener to this isn't going to necessarily have the same political views as either of us, and we don't necessarily have close political views. But I'll tell you what, if you have political views that are like James Woods, you're fucked up. Like, that's super fucked up. Yeah. All right, why am I here? I don't know. I just saw you on Twitter, and I thought it was funny. (laughs) (laughs) That works for me. Yeah. That's... Obviously, I'm I'm good with taking a silly idea to its logical extreme. Yeah, why did you start that? Was it just so like what? Why Eric Roberts? It's a, sort of a twofold idea. One was the recognition that Eric Roberts. Obviously, he's a well-known name, not just because of his sister, Julia Roberts, but also because oh. he's done so much work in the past, and at some point was a very well-respected actor, and. Over the past, say, decade, but especially in the past like five or six years, his work ethic has gone into overdrive. And I put work ethic in quotation marks because he now – he went from doing maybe four or five films a year to doing now 40 and 50, like literally an, ex- an insane number <laughs> of projects a year. It, it has absolutely gotten crazy to the point where everyone started kind of – now that I, I do have a, a Google alert for him, I notice how many other people have noticed it. But he just works all the time. Now, he's just doing small parts in these, uh, these low-budget, micro-budget, ultra-low-budget movies. But he, I guess that's the way that you can kind of uh, maintain your career if you're not getting the same level of work that you were previously. Lots of actors do it. But mm-hmm. the depths that he's going to are well below where a lot of – previously mainstream actors have gone. He's the kind of actor, and this is absolutely the case, who in the same year would do a faith-based film, would do an episode of, of Celebrity Wife Swap on TV, <laughs> and do The Human Centipede 3, which just came out, and he's in, right? I mean, this, it's a, yeah. such a ridiculous kind of, of scope that he's willing to do. And I'm both kind of depressed by the idea because he, again he was he wasn't just a mainstream celebrity i mean he was nominated for an academy award and golden globes i mean he had a, a huge amount of respect and but i'm at the same time i'm 
really attracted to the idea that he's willing to work with just about anybody for almost any reason, <laughs> seemingly for almost any amount, uh, and that he <laughs> wants to continue working and just does it. And he, there's no judgment on it. I mean, a couple of years ago, there was a movie that was released, and it got a lot of kind of online <laughs> notoriety, which is different than actual fame. But, you know, we people were talking about it. And that movie was by a director named David Dakota. And it was called A Talking Cat. And it's a kid's movie. And it was on Netflix. It went to Netflix soon after it was released. And Eric Roberts does the voice of the cat in it. And this is an amazing movie if you like things that are terrible. Uh, or if you're even curious about things that are terrible. So this is a movie where this is a cat talks and <laughs> with the voice of Eric Roberts. Not the most distinctive voice in the world. But it sounds like he was – I think uh, there's been a few reviews where it says like it sounds like he was recorded in like a bathroom it has this echoey strange quality to it and it does not sound like it was professionally recorded at all and it's out there and people can see it and again it's a kids movie directed by this former exploitation director who now just directs he directs kind of two kinds of movies now kids movies and uh like gay themed horror movies and that's kind of his niche now really and 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 the actors kind of switch back and forth between the two it's really interesting i gotta find um, that guy <laughs> yeah dave dakota is an interesting i mean he's a really uh, i mean he has a, a fairly high profile too I, I don't know if you know what trailers from hell is oh yeah yeah but, i do yeah and he's one of the directors that that does trailers from hell even though i would make the argument that he even at his peak in, say, the mid to late 80s, he wasn't making good movies. <laughs> Sometimes just sticking around long enough is the same as being good. Right. What was he making in the 80s, though? Like, was he making, like, those directed VHS horror films? No, I mean, he was, he came out of, like, the, the, I think he came out of the, the 80s Roger Corman style camp, but he, he was best known for working with the Scream Queens of that time period, like Linnea Quigley and, like, Brink Stevens, and putting them together. Um, and and his movies of that time period are fairly well known, but also he kind of connected. And I I apologize for going off track, but so as good. you know, I I don't just podcast about Eric Roberts because that would be ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> I also podcast about micro budget filmmaking and filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And David Dakota, the the reason I most respect him is that he got together with a lot of these people who were making like shot on VHS movies in the late eighties, and he. Uh, uh, People like uh, like Todd Sheets, who we talk about a lot on No Budget Nightmares, and uh, directors like J.R. Bookwalter, and kind of helped and helped produce some of their movies and help oh, them wow. get connections and things like that. Uh, so I mean, you know, he's he's an important name in the development of a lot of different filmmakers. But that said, anyone listening to this, I bet they don't know any of those people I just said. <laughs> I mean, the comparison to Roger Corman sounds completely apt. It sounds like he was doing the same thing with Roger Corman in the eighties too, like just to a certain extent, kind of uh, you know the the support of talent, of recognized talent, but I think yeah. he actually came out of that same Fred Olin Ray, Jim Wynorski type uh, Roger Corman, like actually working for Roger Corman coming out of it. I might be wrong about that, huh. but he certainly w- came out of that same time period and was making the same sort of movies, you know, kind of TNA horror films. <laughs> you know, there was more of that still, just more like people willing to just mentor outside of yeah. like unpaid internships and shit like just willing to like hire people on their set and just like walk them through the process and like just produce their own film but there's i can't really think of anybody now that has like that sort of low budget cred i sort of like mumblecore that would i mean that's, that. that's actually a really good example is mumblecore because yeah. you see larger names evolving out of that i mean i suppose you could see 
even still Roger Corman to some extent because he still produces those made for sci-fi terrible horror movies. <laughs> right. But I mean, there are there are talents that will evolve out of that because eventually, hopefully, one of those movies will be like surprisingly good in the way that in the early '80s that like um, uh, Alligator and Piranha <laughs> yeah, were yeah. much better than they expected to be, and then you get a John Sayles, someone who now it's hard to think that he even began with Roger Corman. But even like the Joe Dante type talents, these people who who were just looking for their shot and once they had it they were able to try to transcend the the box that they were that they were told to be in so do you actually enjoy watching films that you don't enjoy i guess would be the way to word it (laughs) (laughs) uh you know what no no and what i'll enjoyment is such a strange thing everyone the way that you can enjoy a movie there's so many different levels to it right because um I can't go into an ultra-low-budget movie, a amateur movie is the best way to put it, really, with the idea that it's going to have all of the same qualities as Mad Max Fury Road, which I saw <laughs> well, last week. Yeah. And if I had that expectation, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm being unfair to that filmmaker. I'm being just totally unfair to the whole process. And again, I'd just be wasting my time to be watching it in the first place. But I watch a lot of movies by amateur filmmakers. And I'm talking about people who have $500 and their, their parents' handy cam. And right, I mean, this is how they're making their movies. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a quote from the Apocalypse Now documentary, Heart of Darkness, which came out in the early 90s. And what it says, it's Francis Ford Coppola talking about it. And he's talking about that in the next generation of filmmakers, the, the great filmmaker will be some kind of little fat girl in, in, in some, some Midwestern state or something like that. I'm obviously misquoting. But right. the idea is the genius people that are out there, the people with the real vision and the real talent, at that point, throughout the 70s and the late 70s and the 80s, they might have all of the ambition and all of the idea and all of the uh, kind of spirit to put something together, but are, don't live in an area where you can get a 35 millimeter camera or the crew to do it or the equipment to edit it or something like that. But now that that's available to your average person, sure, right now you're seeing thousands and thousands of movies coming out that are almost unwatchable, but talent. <laughs> You know, talent springs from that. You know, it's 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 the mushroom growing out of the shit. <laughs> is, is that what you're looking for? Then is like the diamond in the rough, or are you just watching I, them to watch them? No, no. I always compare it to being a miner, and I know that's such a ridiculous <laughs> comparison. But the no, idea is you go in, right? You dig through it, and and not only do you find the gem, but you you want to bring it to other people. It's like, look at this. This is so much more impressive than what you see. This rock that's over here. <laughs> But there's something special about this, and you should recognize this as talent. And I think it's really important to do that. It's really important to nurture that because it can turn into a bit of an echo chamber, it, even in, when it comes to low-budget filmmaking where either people get no response at all because there's just so much content or mm-hmm. all the response they get is – and you might think it would be negative, but it's not. It's positive because – Everyone wants to be positive, you know? Right. They all want to you know, keep you, doing it. Right. Well, I mean, you really feel good you about themselves. To, yeah. And it's like, oh, you really good effort, you know, really good job there. And the thing is, I want to be honest and I want to be, give constructive criticism and say, this was really good. I didn't really much care for this part. And, and I've never in my life, and I never will say, you should stop right now. You should not be a filmmaker. <laughs> I think that's really ridiculous right. to me. And it's funny because I have a lot of critic friends, like people who are professional film critics, it's what they do for a living. And what I find is a lot of them, their perspective is, boy, there's way too many movies that are coming out. I wish there were less movies that are, were of a higher quality, which is a reasonable perspective if your job is to watch and write about every movie that comes out. Yeah. But I'm of the perspective that everybody should make a movie. 
Every single person. If you have the capacity to do it, then get some friends together and do it and see if this is something that you have a passion for. But even if it's not, create this one thing and be able to revolve around it a little bit. And, and you know, it, the great thing about filmmaking as an art form is the collaborative nature of it. So the, you start on one path and at the end, it's this kind of twisted version and you can keep it as pure as possible, but it's still going to be different than that original thought. But it's always going to be something special and unique. Even when it's shit. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm on the same page as you. Like, that's what my creative project from my master's was about, was about, like, the idea, well, not just that, but also just that um, because we have all these tools, like, I'm a white guy, obviously, you can see me, <laughs> I guess. But, um, as, I won't like, put it against you, I promise. Okay, yeah. Um, but, uh, like, that if we have all these tools and we want to make stuff, like, we shouldn't just be made, if all of our friends are white, we should be trying to reach out, too, and trying to, like, help create a wider of representation as long as we're doing it yeah i think we're on the same page is what i'm trying to say but while rambling off topic <laughs> what we're finding is that the excuses that may have worked to not create previously they just don't longer they no longer work right yeah. you have that ability and again we're speaking about this from a position of privilege and we really are because when i say that everyone has access to it i recognize not everybody does but right. it certainly is much more prevalent much easier than it was before it doesn't require you know a decade of training i figure that that film school at this point is not necessarily the most you don't I, I mean I again I don't want to again the broad brushes is not something I, I want to kind of hide behind but the the idea is you don't want to come out of an education with a huge debt and nothing to show for it not even like a, a demo reel or something like that yeah. you, you need to get your ideas down and you can do that you can spend all your time doing it, right? You could be filming everything <laughs> and, and it wouldn't cost you a massive amount. You don't need to, to uh, develop all the footage and go through it and find out some of it's ruined. And I mean, it, we're just living in a really great time to be someone in a visual medium like that because the technology has developed so quickly. And I mean that, like you look at editing, like jump cuts have come back with a fucking vengeance all of a sudden. Yeah, absolutely. So like if your footage isn't that good, you can mess around with it too now. Like fairly, and like keep going back and editing and editing over and over again as long as you need to. It's like if you have something to work with, you can still work around it. Yeah, and I, I look back in 2006, I worked on a film with a group of people here in Canada, which is where I live in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I was coming at it from perspective of someone who loved films and filmmaking, had never been part of the process, but with, were, was working with people who had some experience but were almost entirely amateur just like myself. So I helped write it. I acted in it. I, uh, I, I usually was carrying the camera. And I mean did special effects, did computer-generated effects in it, did whatever I could to participate in the project. And in the end – and it took us like a year and a half to do. Oh, wow. And it was, it was an action movie. We tried to make this no-budget <laughs> Canadian action movie about this Canadian secret service agency that – I mean it was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> There's a part where like one of the characters has a fight with a ventriloquist dummy. It was just supposed to be, you know, we were throwing every idea we could at it. Um, and I wouldn't say it's unwatchable, but it's bad. <laughs> it's a really bad movie. But that process was amazing for me. It gave me not only a really healthy respect for the whole filmmaking process from beginning to end, but it also gave me a lot of empathy for the difficulties that people have. Uh, you know, I write for a website about no-budget filmmaking as well for dailygrindhouse.com, and I interview for that site a lot of different directors. And some of them are professional directors, people who are working with real budgets, but a lot of them are people who, people who when you reach out to interview them, they're like, what, you want to interview me? Which, I, which I'm sure you're going to run into a few times as well. Yeah. Uh, and 
And I'm like, of course. You made a movie. You yeah. have probably a thousand stories about all the difficulties that you ran into with that. So let's go through them. And I also feel like I'm so lucky because how often do you get to sit down and watch a movie, even if it's bad? And then at the end of it, you're sitting there and it's like, you have all these questions. It's like, well, why did they do this? Why did that character do this? So I get to then ask the person who made the movie all the questions that I wanted to ask them. Yeah. I feel like the luckiest guy in the world when I'm interviewing a director. Yeah, it's the same point as this podcast, basically. I mean, with the whole interviewing of uh, the... Absolutely. Of the, yeah, because like, I talked, like you saw, I talked to Gawker coming in, so I was just curious, like, you, like, Bill and Burroughs Cock especially, like, you have this brand and you have these people, you have, like, fans, and you have these people that imitate you to like make your life hell like how does all this feel like i mean you may not be traditionally seen as an artist but in a way like if you've cultivated this brand and have uh like a recon like you're recognizable and mm -hmm. you're crafting these jokes and everything he used to be a comedian um like clearly he's doing something creative and an outlet and like it should be recognized to some extent if these people are putting all their time and effort into this not all their time but like <laughs> it, a surprisingly large amount of time yeah but it's still an outlet it's still and that's what they all say like it's an outlet it's fun to do which is like what i do when i get out of like when i get out of movies a lot of people get out of movies when they're making for no budget it's just like a fun thing to do and it and you didn't even mention that i mean you talked about a little bit with when you're making the film but like also it's just a great way to hang out with people like yeah. just making yeah. things and, and, and you end up with stories that will last a lifetime oh, for totally. sure you know having listened to your episode and the, the one that you just referred to what i also really kind of what kind of really struck out at me was the fact that when you and, and again they describe them as hobbies but it's sort of a different level than a hobby because yeah. a hobby for one thing, you don't usually have people imitating and just as a way to, to, to get your goat or whatever. Right. But it, it's such as you kind of become like a god of your like own little tiny piece of the universe, you know, yeah. where, where you almost develop an ego about it. And you could sort of hear it in those interviews, too, where there's this kind of developing ego. It's like, yeah, well, I'm really funny. And that's why this happened <laughs> and this happened. It's like, well, you almost have to be right because that that person has probably been criticized and knocked a thousand times so you do develop an ego when it comes to that and i try to minimize anything regarding ego when it i don't think of myself for one thing i always say no one's making any money at this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not i'm not becoming a millionaire talking about eric roberts on the internet to a few hundred people right, right. but it, it if you're getting enjoyment out of it, if you feel like you're building something, if you feel like there's some sort of forward momentum, then why not do it and see where it goes? Because who knows? You know, I just mentioned that director, J.R. Bookwalter, mm -hmm. who's a director that probably most, again, most people listening probably have never heard of. He made a movie in the late 80s called The Dead Next Door. And uh, that movie, when I was a teenager growing up in Newfoundland, which again, people don't know where that is either, but it's, it's a very small province here in Canada. I was reading about that movie and I could never see it because none of the video stores around where I lived actually carried it. But I was always reading. And I was like, wow, maybe someday I'll get to see that movie. <laughs> I know such a, a big dreams back in Newfoundland for me. Yeah. And now uh, they're about to do a Blu-ray release of that movie. And I'm on the commentary on that. <laughs> And, and I, that's only because I talk about low-budget movies on a podcast and because – I mean I, I think about that, that sort of evolution and about how far you can take things. And I'm like, why would I ever stop? Who knows what could happen? I'm, I'm, I'm still enjoying myself. I mean if I started to hate it or if Eric <laughs> Roberts sent me an email saying that he hated me. <laughs> would that really make you stop if he's told you he hated you or just make you, you know like, want to do it more? 
I, I, it, I would be the happiest guy in the world. But would if, you stop? Oh, no, definitely not. Okay. <laughs> if he sent a cease and desist letter, then maybe. Well, yeah, you've uh, got money, I imagine. It really fights <laughs> that's it, that. right? Uh, now, I, I feel like I'm, I'm in pretty good stead legally <laughs> just <laughs> talking about his work and his movies. And again, I'm not publishing his address on the internet or anything right. like that. But we have to make it clear to anyone listening to this. I'm not necessarily a big fan of Eric Roberts. Like, I, I, I'm developing a really healthy respect for him, mm-hmm. especially now having watched more of his earlier movies. And I was like, wow, he was a really good actor. And then you watch some of his recent movies like DOA, Dead or Alive, or, <laughs> or that, First um, Dog. <laughs> wasn't DOA, wasn't that a Uwe Boll? No, that one wasn't. Actually, that, that's, that's what makes DOA even more depressing. Huh. Uh, Uwe Boll directed a whole bunch of video game adaptations at that time period. Yeah. But DOA was directed by a, uh, a Chinese director named Corey Yun, who directed all sorts of amazing martial arts movies uh, and did the, uh, the stunt coordination for, uh, for uh, the kind of classic kung fu movies in the late 70s and 80s, directed a bunch of, of uh, Donnie Yen and Jet Li movies. So the fact that he made a movie as fucking horrible as Dead or Alive, that actually makes it more of a tragedy in my eyes because it could have been good. It had the potential at the very least. A um, little off traffic there, but uh, off topic. <laughs> but but the, the whole Eric Roberts idea to me is so interesting. An actor who was so high, who ha- ran into some troubles in his life, but continues to work and actually seems to have developed into a very you know intelligent, conscientious person. The very kind of person who I I, I do have kind of respect for in my life. People who've kind of come away from the brink, you know that sort of thing. Yeah. But the idea for the title of the show came from this Mickey Rourke acceptance speech in 2009. Oh, where, that's what that was. <laughs> that's what it was at the very beginning. So what yeah. happened is Mickey Rourke won Best Actor at the Independent Spirit Awards for The Wrestler. And he came up to get his award. And the first thing he says when he gets up there is he starts talking about Eric Roberts, who is there in the crowd. And he's like, Eric Roberts, he's the best actor that I ever worked with. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. And when I heard that, when I was like looking at clips and stuff, because I already had the idea for the podcast, I was like, well, that's it. That's what the <laughs> podcast is going to be called. So I, that's going to be a lot more difficult to market. <laughs> I mean, but why, like, what drew you to him initially? Did I ask that? I don't think I did. Well, to some extent, well, just, I, I, it, it, again, it was that kind of twofold idea the idea that this was a guy who had high, amazing highs, but now has reached kind of, uh, it's difficult to say lows because even now he shows up in mainstream Hollywood movies. He shows yeah. up in The Dark Knight and he shows up in Inherent Vice last year. So he's still working in Hollywood, but he's also working with a lot of these micro-budget filmmakers, the kind of people I was writing about and talking about anyway. But also just the fact that he was making so many goddamn movies. Like there's a part at the end, at the beginning of the podcast where – it was meant to be almost as a joke where we do the Roberts report where we talk about his new projects that have been announced yeah. and then talk about the latest things that have been added to his internet movie database profile, which is ridiculous that I could do that on a biweekly basis and have things to say every single time. And it's no trouble at all. I mean, I, 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 I have to cut out news. There's so much of it because he gets announced for projects every day. Oh my God. <laughs> but I mean, like why? I, I don't think you explained it. Like what, like what, why specifically him? Because there's other people that have done that, that have like sort of fallen from grace in that way and just sort of lived on the edges of the, of the mainstream. Well, I, don't, I don't know if I have a good answer to that. Uh, I mean, there is something fascinating about him just because even in his prime, because of the kind of massive mainstream success of his sister, it got diminished so quickly. Oh. Uh, but I don't find him as a person 
particularly interesting or his private life or anything like that. Even though, again, we are covering everything on the show. We'll watch his TV appearances. We'll watch his soap opera appearances. We'll watch him be the bad guy in that Doctor Who TV movie from 1996. We'll watch it all and we'll talk about it. But I don't find him as a person necessarily interesting. But that direction of a career and also, yes, you're right. There's lots of different actors who've reached that big high. Why not um, uh, uh, Gary Busey is the fucking man, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's just the sheer number of projects. And I mean, literally 50 projects for this year alone. It is so ridiculous. I mean, it's gotten so ridiculous that it's almost impossible not to talk about, right? I mean, it's just one of those things where, where nobody, even if, even if that was your purpose to show up one day here and one day here, even then it would be hard to do 50 movie projects in a year. Uh, but he does it. And the, the fact that most of them are terrible, that's besides the point. Yeah. What if one of them are really good? Who knows? I mean, I look at that list of his movies on the IMDb, and I've seen more than my fair share. But there's still dozens and dozens and dozens. Like, I mean, I think right now there's something like 380 projects on his IMDb profile. And I look at it, and I'm like, I wonder from that title what that would be like. I wonder what Revelation Road with Brian Bosworth and Steve Borden, Sting, the pro wrestler. I wonder what that movie would be like. I think it has something to do with religion, but I guess we'll see. <laughs> I mean, do you have any goal in doing this? Do you hope to make him into like a Nicolas Cage figure where he suddenly like has a resurgence in like the meme generation or anything? Well, I mean, that's an interesting question. I, I don't think the impact could ever be uh, large enough to, to make him more of a cult figure than he already is. And he is to some extent. I mean, you don't show up as the <laughs> biggest name in the Human Centipede 3 unless you have <laughs> some sort of name recognition. That's true. Uh, <laughs> but the very fact that he still gets cast in Hollywood productions means that maybe he'll get the Mickey Rourke push, right? Maybe yeah. he'll get lucky and someone will say, you know, he, he can still act. He, he still looks, you know, you can put him on camera and he'll still fit into a Hollywood production. And I just mean, you know, how, how that is difficult in terms of how a person can look. And, and he'll knock it out of the park. And everyone will be like, oh my God, this guy is this massive talent that we've been missing out on. I'm not saying he's a massive talent that people have been missing out on. <laughs> I'm not saying that for sure. Because I don't know. I know that at one point he was incredibly talented and did some amazing work. And now he just works a lot. And who knows if he gives a shit what he's doing. But maybe he does. And maybe I'll see some examples where he really is trying. And maybe when the performances aren't good, it's not his fault. Maybe the writing is bad because the movies tend to be bad. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so what I'm saying is that he deserves respect because of the fact that he works really hard, obviously, and works a lot and works with people who don't have a lot of experience, but I'm not going to s just sit there and praise him up and down because that wouldn't be fair. And that's not honest because a lot of this work isn't necessarily good. Do you want him to still be good? Do you want to find out that he still has it, that he's like still capable of being a really good actor? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but then again, when I sit down to any movie, I want it all to be good, right? Ideally, mm -hmm. that's how it would be. Uh, that's and, a good point. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean I, there are certain people in certain cases where you sit down and it's like, oh, this is going to suck. I can't wait. But I, I, I don't really get anything out of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the so bad it's good thing. I mean, I, there, there are elements of that in my life where I can enjoy a movie on that level. But when I sit down to watch it for the first time, it's always with the idea – Let's see what this person can do. Let's see what these people can do. Let's see what they have done with this concept or with this title or with whatever. And when someone is being – and that, that's really what it comes down to. And this goes back to the no-budget filmmaking that I, I talk about and write about as well. The, the biggest crime is when someone's being lazy. 
when you can see that they could have done something more and they had the ability and they just didn't, that to me is the most unforgivable thing. So well, if someone is just... What do you mean by that? Do you mean like they, they just didn't, like it looks like they didn't like try with the camera, they didn't, like what, do you, what exactly do you think is missing when they didn't go that extra mile? Now, you have to understand, again, the kind of movies that I'm watching. Say right. about an opening title to a movie, which has a bunch of spelling mistakes on it. Oh, okay. So, like, <laughs> and they, they ignore like, the red squiggly line, even. <laughs> that's an extreme example, but it happens. It happens way too often. Hmm. Or what you discover is that the sound in a movie is really bad, right? So, uh, because they were using – maybe they didn't even have boom mics. Maybe they're just using the mic on the camera, but mm -hmm. they didn't they – did, even after seeing the footage that they had, they didn't accommodate that in any way. They didn't try to fix it. So you end up with a movie where there's wind whipping around the whole time. You can't hear what people are saying. And again, this is a small thing that they could have adjusted and fixed, and they didn't. And then, you know, I think once you're an audience member, once you're there and you give your 90 minutes or two hours or whatever, you have purchased the right to be critical about it. And it, I can also say, hey, I've done it myself, so I know the difficulties that you're running into. But I don't think that's a prerequisite either. You've sat down and given them their 90 minutes, so now you're allowed to have an opinion about it. Are these uh, films being released? Like, are they being released for money that you're seeing? Oh, yes, absolutely. Huh. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I would never just take something that someone <laughs> – maybe I would, actually. But, <laughs> no, all of these movies, there, there are hundreds of small – distribution companies for DVDs, uh, especially ones that also focus on even now like VHS distribution. Uh, sometimes, uh, believe it or not, there are lots of movies still being distributed on VHS because a lot of these young filmmakers or inexperienced filmmakers also have a lot of love for that generation of film distribution. So yeah, there's lots of, of uh, distributors who are releasing ultra low budget and no budget movies. Uh, that example I gave about uh, a movie which had misspellings and grammatical errors that was uh, distributed. It was a British movie, and uh, I'll name it. I don't give a shit. It's, it's called <laughs> The Summer of the Massacre, and that movie, when it starts, it starts with this kind of explanation of what the plot is, and it's <laughs> riddled with grammatical errors. That movie was directed by uh, an editor of a horror magazine, a fairly well-known one at the time in the UK. He was the editor, and I was like, after I saw the movie, I was like, I got to see this fucking magazine. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a copy of it, and it's there's... The, 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 the actual magazine itself was generally okay. You know, the articles were of vastly different qualities. But there was always like an editor section where they did like an article. And when you read that article, it was full of grammatical and spelling errors. It was the most fucked up thing that someone could rise into that position. Uh, but it just goes to show, you know, there's no quality control for this. When you say, when you're the director and say, this movie's finished, then the movie's finished. And as soon as you put it out on... YouTube or Vimeo or you get a distributor for it, then that is the final product and that is what can be judged. So do you think these people actually care about making the film or do you think it's just like a fun thing to do and an easy way to possibly make a few dollars for nothing? Well, anyone who's ever made, especially a feature-length movie, uh, yeah. will know that even if it started with, oh, this is just going to be a fun lark, eventually you realize, oh, shit, this is going to be a lot of work, right? <laughs> Unless you just sit down and make it up as you go along and somehow fit the pieces together afterwards. You, it's never easy. It just can't be. It's just for one thing, you got to get a lot of people together for, mm -hmm. for actors and for people to help and all of that. And it, there's just so much involved with the pre-production and with the filming. And I, I would say, lots of movies just never you never see them because the post-production aspect. You find out you have a whole bunch of footage that is absolutely unusable. That 
couldn't possibly fit together or that at that point you've been so burnt out that it's like five years later and you're like, <laughs> I got to do something with that footage. But no, I don't think so. It's, it's not a quick buck. For one thing, it's not quick. Yeah. <laughs> and the buck is hardly guaranteed. These people who are getting their movies distributed, most of the time, they're giving them to these distribution companies for free with so, the idea that either they might get a piece of sales or it's just a way to – uh, develop their name in some way and say, look, I have a movie on the shelves or you can order it online or something like that. So why do you think they end up releasing it with all these mistakes still? Like, do you, why do you think they're, they're not going the, they're not doing the last bit? Well, I mean, let's face it. Some people just, they, I mean, in the, in the case of the example I just used with the spelling mistakes, I think the person just didn't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sometimes people have a little too much confidence in themselves, you know, where <laughs> it, it, they can't see the forest for the trees or they think that, you know, it's kind of the Ed Wood idea, too, where the little details just don't matter. It's the big picture of the film that people are going to appreciate. And maybe when it comes to that movie, I don't know how many people ever saw it. I did find out afterwards that at some point they, the, the magazine, he gave out copies of the movie with the magazine, which must have been just an amazing thing for people expecting yeah. something from that. But most of the people who watched that movie maybe their expectations are very, very low, right? Or maybe they're just looking for, you know, put it on the background or, you know, give it a quick look or whatever. They're probably not looking at it in as much detail as I was when I was watching it. I'm just the kind of person who, when I see glittering spelling mistakes and grammatical <laughs> errors, it jumps out right at me, right? But uh, I remember when I, when I first saw that movie and I put it uh, the screenshot of one of those text things online, people were coming at me, it's like, how did that escape, right? How did that movie ever get into the public eye? The person who made it must have just not thought it was important to double-check that or never – can you imagine showing it to friends or potential backers or whatever and having none of them say anything about it? That's just an amazing thing to me. It's right. That means that you either were so self-conscious about it that you just put it out there without allowing anyone else to give any feedback or the people that you, get, you allowed to give feedback – you either didn't listen to it or they were as dumb as you were. <laughs> well, how do you even find these films, though? It's not that difficult. No? Uh, at this point, it's particularly easy. A lot of the filmmakers actually come to me hmm. uh, and, and, uh, and ask if, 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 if it's something that, that I could cover on the site. And I always say yes. To, to me, it's like I'm not – again, I'm not here to, to – even though I'm mocking this. It's all, again, that is an example of laziness, which I really do have a difficulty with because, again, it's my 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> my time's not that valuable, but it's more valuable than I shouldn't have to deal with that shit. Um, but a lot of times they do come to me. This whole idea came from a collection, one of those giant movie collections that you can buy at like the big chain stores. Yeah, uh, a company, public domain films and everything. Yeah, exactly. So they usually have those 50 packs or 100 packs sometimes of science fiction movies that are all in the public domain. Well, a few years ago, a uh, company called Millbrook, which does a lot of those collections, released a two 50 packs of no budget movies. Huh. And like uh, specifically, they it, meant, it said they were no budget. What they did is that they must have purchased the catalogs or licensed the catalogs from these distributors, from some, some of the larger ones, like Brain Damage Films is one of them, uh, and, and uh, Video Outlaw. There's a lot of uh, these distributors that maybe they released these movies years ago. No one's buying them, certainly at this point. Maybe they bought them, a few of them, when they first came out. But it's not doing these distributors any good. So they bought the rights to a bunch of movies, put them all out in these giant packages. And when I was first writing about movies on a blog years and years ago, I purchased this collection, and I, when I started watching them, I'm like, oh, my God, some of these movies are the worst things I've <laughs> ever seen. But I've never heard of almost any of them. Like, some of them didn't have IMDb profiles. They were really unknown. So I started – I was like, well, 
all right, this is how my brain works. Let's start at the beginning, and I'll write about every single one. <laughs> and I didn't. I, I ended up starting to write for Daily Grindhouse before I finished it. I think I, I covered like 44 or 45 of them. Um, and but in that process, I started to get familiar with some of the names involved, uh, some of the 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 kind of repeated uh, actors that would show up. And there's a whole kind of weird underground industry of actors who are really well known just in these no no budget circles. People who, again, every once in a while, they're probably making a living barely acting, but most of them still hold a second job and they just do a lot of work in these movies. Uh, what I discovered is that um, I was interviewing an actor who had been in a lot of these movies and I was really impressed with just how many things were, his, were in his IMDb profile. What I discovered is he's a coroner. That's what he does for his living. And a coroner? Yeah. <laughs> and he, appropriate. And what he did was he would find these um, Indiegogo campaigns and he'd find ones that would give you uh, a credit as a producer if you donated a certain amount. And he donated to a bunch of them so he could have a giant IMDb profile <laughs> which said that he was a producer on all of these movies. <laughs> and it worked on me. I was very impressed when I saw it until I heard that. That's really cool. I, 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 you should have people I'm going to talk to too because there is like these whole worlds out there that like just – nobody knows about <laughs> i mean absolutely yeah vice does their things like all over the world but they usually be like fairly extreme to get their attention but there are just like fairly benign things like yeah the guy just like i'm gonna be a producer so i'm just gonna donate to all these Indie coco accounts that oh. uh the that's actually a really interesting example that vice one because uh that film who killed captain alex which was made in uganda i think uh they, the vice did a piece on that recently yeah. and that's a low budget filmmaker there starting really an industry from scratch because somebody helped him, right? They helped him with the technology initially and now he's doing these action movies and that action is uh, the, the point of view of the, the place where he lives filtered through the movies that he's seen and it comes out into something entirely original. It's so different than anything else you've seen. And it's like, well, you know, in the movies I've seen, they have a helicopter explosion. So how can I make a helicopter explosion if I have footage of a helicopter and some software from seven years ago and you know, how can I do it? And it's that level of ingenuity that still impresses me with almost every movie that I watch. I think even, even when the movie itself is bad, the ingenuity in terms of problem solving, I need this. How can I make it happen with no money? To me, that's always going to be interesting. Well, do you only watch, uh, do you primarily just watch horror films since you're at Daily Grindhouse? No, I think that would be really myopic. I think it would be really a really sad direction to come at these movies from. And I know there's lots of, of people who, who would disagree with that. I know I have lots of friends who primarily watch horror movies or cult movies, genre movies for the most part. Yeah. And uh, to, I've always had a, a, a really deep love for international films and inter international filmmaking. Canadian movies is something that I have a lot of love for as well. Not exactly the most popular <laughs> place for movies to come from. Yeah. But it, to me, it, 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 you have to keep your... You have to keep your scope as wide as possible because you want to come at – especially when it comes to criticism, you want to come at it from a perspective that, that really does make sense and that is going to apply as widely as possible. Uh, and uh, you want to have an appreciation for all the elements of, of the filmmaking that is going into these movies, even if they – again, you made it for $500 or less and you're doing it with a group of friends – that doesn't mean something exciting and interesting can't come out of that. Every great director started 
by using like an eight millimeter camera and a group of friends and right it's just that we didn't see those or most of those were lost to time now your mistakes are put up on youtube but that doesn't mean something great can't come out of that well, I just saw lightning in the background. <laughs> I know. It's really fucking intense out there. Cause it looks like hail at one point, too, which wasn't helping my tornado theory. <laughs> it's like huge fucking raindrops out there. It's really intense. <laughs> I mean, you just let me know if you got to get off this and take cover. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think so. I looked up. It said it was a flash flood warning, but that's where the third floor helps out. Do you have any more questions about Eric Roberts? <laughs> um... How would I know him? Because like I'm 27, but I don't. Sure. I'm not really familiar with him. You've probably seen him in things, but I can understand you not necessarily knowing his face just to like to bring it up uh, in your mind. Sorry, I saw another flash of lightning. Yeah, I know. I That's saw a, it in the reflection. <laughs> um, and in terms of a role, like a famous role, it's a little hard to say. It really is because some of the films that we've covered so far on the podcast and uh, if we're early in the second episode only comes out the Monday after that we're recording this is he made a, a film back in, I think it was 1982 called star 80, which was about the murder of a, a playboy playmate, a, a real life story. And he played a character named Paul Snyder, a real life guy who killed her and a really interesting character. And his, his performance in that movie is amazing. He's so good in it, but that's a movie that's sort of not really a lot of people talk about. And if they do, they talk about it because his character is such a sleazeball that he's, he's built this sex chair, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds really funny. And in the movie, there's a funny scene where he like, like someone discovers it and his wife, who's kind of naive, doesn't know what it is. But he, he ended up using that sex chair after murdering this woman uh, in po post. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And it's. Yeah, yeah, that really awful thing happened in history. And then he killed himself. So that's just a horrible story. Uh, and then for the second episode of the show, we cover a movie called Runaway Train from 1985. And that movie, which I had never seen before, is amazing. He's, it's really good. It stars John Voight. And it's just a really, really exciting, really well-made movie. And he was nominated for an Oscar for it. And he's really good in that as well. And like I, I said in the very first episode of the show... I went into the creation of this podcast with the idea that I didn't have – I wasn't necessarily a big fan. And then I had the bad luck of watching two movies very quickly where he was so good. I was like, wow, he's incredibly talented. But then you do – there's always – on every episode of the show, we'll have one of his earlier films where he did have kind of a high profile kind of compared to one of his later movies where maybe not so much. But in terms of where you would see him, you probably saw him if you saw The Dark Knight, uh, okay. which most people – he has a small part as a crime boss where I think he's in a scene where Batman drops him off uh, like a, law, a really big height and he like uh, he says something like uh, this fall won't kill me and he goes I know and he drops him and he, he breaks his ankle and then he picks him up again to so he, he can threaten him some more uh, that, that might be I like that's literally like a 30 second scene in the fucking movie <laughs> <laughs> that I'm trying to say to, to, to kind of uh, <laughs> Trying to see if your memory will pick up on it. No, no but I mean, it's, it, I'm, it's reminding me of the scene in the ridiculous scene in the Batman and Dark Knight Rises where Catwoman does something sort of similar, where she like jumps <laughs> down the roof and then continues that conversation. Needless to say, he's had small parts in many, many, many movies and large parts in comparatively few. Uh, but at one point between 1982 and 1987 or so, uh, oh, actually, you know what the movie that you might know him from is Best of the Best, the martial arts movie. It's kind of a cheesy martial <laughs> arts movie from 1990. Outside of that, it's possible that you, if you, it's 
likely that you've seen him, but it's possible that you wouldn't recognize him if you passed him on the street. Do you know when he's, have you figured out when he started going downhill? Like what his last great film was yet? Uh, that is something we've kind of, that's a, up for debate. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fully possible his last great movie is something that I've yet to see. But you can really pinpoint where, at the very least, his career took a downturn. My understanding is that he, he uh, got involved with drugs in the late 80s and yeah. that, that, that really kind of um, it sped things up for him. But there's a movie that came out in 1990, I think, called The Ambulance. It's a really good movie. And he's the star of that movie. And by 1996, he was the bad guy in the Doctor Who TV movie, um, the American one. And I, between those two points is <laughs> – I wouldn't say 1990 was a height. It certainly wasn't. But he was still considered the kind of person who could be the star of a movie like that. And then by the mid-90s, he, he was – he probably had the reputation as someone who was unreliable. Hmm. But not a bad actor because he still was getting lots of work all throughout that that time period. But mostly, he I think he was seen as attainable. Huh, that's interesting. I guess last question would be: if you were to talk to uh, Eric Roberts, what would you tell him? I would say that I had a lot of respect for him, and you, I, you know what? I, <laughs> the, I, absolutely, no, you, would, uh, you would literally say to him in the past tense: I had a lot of respect for you. No, no, no. I have a lot okay. of – No, no, no. And I, again, the, I, I certainly wouldn't be insulting. For one thing, I would be absolutely in awe of someone who's had the life and experiences that he's had. And, and again, he does seem like – and I'm only telling this from his interview appearances and his Twitter feed. But he does seem like a good guy, like a really yeah. – honestly, a good person, someone who's really come out the other end of a hard life – and, and has cleaned himself up to a point where he could make a, a significant comeback. So I would say I had a lot of respect for him. And my second question or my second statement would be, how would you like to be on a podcast about you? <laughs> it would be nice if there was like just a director like Kevin Smith, but, you know, better. Um, that would sort of bring him <laughs> back like Michael Parks. Just like give him a constant source of work where he could like really chew the scenery and everything. I mean, it, I, I think it actually is going to happen he's young enough i mean he's not young he certainly isn't yeah. but yeah he's young enough. Like, his daughter's only like what 23 or something yes right so i think he's in his 50s yeah. uh so so there's no reason that someone couldn't give him a role like that where he, again if paul thomas anderson is giving him a role in his latest movie in inherent vice last year then there is a recognition that he has the talent to still be in a movie of that level and caliber then it maybe it's just a matter of time as long as he he keeps these connections he obviously if mickey Rourke still likes him <laughs> <laughs> yeah then there's probably other people out there who who recognize that this is a guy who has immense talent and then maybe he just hasn't been given the breaks lately but you know what my biggest concern is rob and this is absolutely the case and maybe i wasn't supposed to use your name but I don't uh <laughs> <laughs> my biggest concern is because i don't know a lot about eric roberts outside of like the movies and his twitter feed yeah. is that i'm gonna discover some sort of horrible thing about him oh Something he did. Well, think, I mean, if he was a drug addict in the late 80s, then he probably did a lot of really terrible stuff. I know that, like, anyway, I don't want to go into any details because I don't know a lot of the details of it. But what if I find out there's something that he did something which makes me lose so much respect for him that it means that it just colors my opinion about everything that we're talking about? It's not likely. I feel like a lot of people, you can come back from a 
lot of things, but there are things, and I imagine we both agree on this, there are some things you can't come back from. Yeah. But, it, you know, I, I just worry that, that, or maybe something will come out <laughs> while I'm doing this yeah. about him being an awful person. But, you know, he's been married for a long time. He, he, he's, he's in uh, films with his wife a lot of the times, like that faith-based movie that I'm going to be talking about soon on the show. Right. And it's like, well, maybe they just live a fairly sedate existence and there's nothing wrong with that well maybe when you're interviewing your next low budget filmmaker you can start suggesting to them that they start using uh eric roberts or ask at the end of each interview would you consider using eric roberts in the film (laughs) (laughs) the level of uh, filmmakers i talk to generally all of them would say absolutely (laughs) (laughs) all right well thanks for talking to me (laughs) No problem. No, I'm I'm excited to uh, to to see who I'm paired with on this podcast. Oh no, you'll be you'll be by yourself. Those other people were just because it was Gawker Commoner, so it's like nobody knows who these are. So I'll just do more than one. <laughs> no one knows who the fuck I am. <laughs> well, I mean, you have your own podcast that they can go to. Like no one's yeah. gonna go to fucking Gawker and, and search out Milton Berle's cock and cheerful ex-girlfriend. No offense to them, but no one's gonna. I, I might be the exception because that's the first thing I did. Did you really? To see who these people were, right? I wanted to get a sense. They were talking about how hilarious these other people were. I was like, well, if they're really funny, maybe I should check them out. So I did, and I'm like, oh, yeah, they're all right. <laughs> I just got a flash flood warning on my phone. So. Well, I'm gonna let you go to your <laughs> destruction. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Rob. It was nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. I'll see you on Twitter, I guess. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Eric Roberts is a fucking man. He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began. We should give him every medal, every trophy, and award. He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard. Eric Roberts, the fucking man. Eric Roberts, the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is a fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can. Oh, I did it before I plugged in the headphone thing. Whoa. Oh, okay. Way too loud. Okay. <laughs> what? All right. Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. Sorry about that. <clears throat> I forgot. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So thanks for talking to me again. Uh, I, I have to be honest, when you suggested that we talk again, I was a little surprised. No, I could tell. I couldn't tell if you were, like, annoyed or what. No, no. I, I can assure you I wasn't annoyed. Again, as you probably discovered since we recorded, I do a lot of recording. Yeah. So, uh, so to me, it's it's certainly not a big deal or anything like that. And I'm recording tonight anyway, so it's not <laughs> like I had to reschedule a bunch of shit around. But uh, but I mostly it was because since the episode hadn't been put up yet the one right. that we recorded before that i felt like uh more like i was concerned that i i didn't address what we were supposed to be talking no no, no you totally did it's just that because it had been so long like i had talked since i talked to you like that same week i had talked to that ufo guy and then the next yeah. week i suddenly talked to that uh dominatrix and so like i wanted to get this up really quickly because they're so fucking out there but in that time i've noticed I've I've listened to more of the Eric Roberts podcast. You're like three episodes in now, and been watching your Twitter feed, and you keep retweeting every mention of him, or not every. But no, like- no, no. It seemed I know it does seem like that, but honestly, and this is something I've just discovered in the process. Remembering, of course, that when I went into this, I wasn't this major fan of his. So it's not like I was checking in on what he was up to every day or anything like that. But, you know, when I started doing the podcast, and especially because 
a portion of the podcast is what's the latest news in regards to him, then I, I started to check uh, his name on Twitter and I started a Google alert for him so it would send any kind of updates and things like that. But uh, in the process of doing that search on Twitter, yeah, I started – because for one thing, what else is there to put on the feed? I can't just constantly put on, hey, everyone visit my – podcast which only has three episodes or at, up until recently two episodes to listen to True. so i mean it really was a part of uh part of it was some of those retweets that i'm doing are not positive necessarily right a lot of them are like oh <laughs> this movie's terrible i'm surprised that eric roberts isn't in it or something like that <laughs> uh and i think it, it's it's the combination of all of those together which are supposed to capture some of the tone of the show, but I can see what you're saying. There's a lot of material out there because he's a he's a even though you didn't recognize who he fucking was, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he is he is a fairly well known and certainly very prolific actor. So there's a lot of stuff being said about him. But yeah, if you were following the if you didn't follow a lot of people on Twitter, like say you don't, yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, I, don't. I can see how it would probably fill up your feed uh, to a significant amount. That especially combined with my actual Twitter account, right? But no, the, well, yeah, especially your own personal one, but um. The thing that like really stuck out to me was the last time you kept saying like you'd be horrified if you found about if you found about the mm. podcast, but you keep retweeting him now. Oh yeah, but he obviously doesn't care. He obviously doesn't see it, or if he does see it, he's just chosen to ignore it. But what am I supposed to do, right? I mean, it's not like I'm. I can for one thing. Uh, when we recorded, I think I only had the first episode up, right? Yeah. Uh, so you know, I'm I'm still really deep in the portion of this where I have to publicize every sing- single thing that we do as hard as possible because you know this. There are thousands of podcasts out there, oh, yeah. and even and even ones even in the the entertainment genre or ones that are covering film or whatever. There are thousands. So it's it in terms of differentiating myself. The part of it is the concept of it, but a concept will only get you so far because everyone, when I tell them about this podcast, because of the kind of people I spend my time with, they're yeah. like, that's really cool. I'm definitely going to check that out. And maybe they do check out <laughs> one episode, but I have to keep doing this. So I have to find a yeah. way to keep them intrigued and coming back. Part of that is is by picking interesting guests to be on it. Right. But part of it is pushing it as hard as possible constantly. And if it comes down to him eventually discovering it and getting angry at me, that honestly, there's a part of me that would be thrilled, but I'm not doing this to provoke Eric Roberts. I just want well, to make I'm, that really clear. I don't think you're trying to provoke him. But I, just, I, I was just curious because it seemed like you were actually trying to get his attention suddenly. Like you were actively trying to by retweeting him, following the stuff because I mean, he clearly looks at his men- at his notifications because he's always retweeting people talking about the most benign things. <laughs> Doesn't he have one of the most boring Twitter feeds I know. in the world? Okay, I, I can't remember to- if I mentioned this on the last time. I think it might have happened afterwards. But I was joking around with someone. They th- There was a recent TV show on NBC. Yes! I was going to ask yes. about that. What about, the fuck? Is- starring David Duchovny. Yes. Uh, it's called like Aquarius or something like that. Yeah. And he was like mentioning it nonstop. It's like, he still oh my is. god, I can't wait till my good friend David Duchovny is on tonight. And then even when it was ongoing, it's like he's. I'm like, I'm watching this. This is one of the best TV show, shows ever. And I'm like, you know, I haven't watched the show. Maybe it is really good, but I can say I keep up on these sort of things. No one thinks it's that great, really. But not even just that. But he's retweeting like interviews about David Duchovny. He's retweeting David Duchovny himself. What the fuck is going on with David Duchovny in him? Eric Roberts needs to start a podcast about how much he loves <laughs> David Duchovny. I mean, maybe there's. I mean, there very well could be, if not likely, there's a, a long time friendship there, or at least maybe maybe he knows someone else who's on the show. But it, there was those few days where he was like. 
all he would tweet about would be David Duchovny and the show to to the detriment of whatever he was working on. Certainly, yeah, that's that's like one of the main things I wanted to ask you about. I just really wanted to know if you knew what was going on there because it hasn't stopped. Like he's still doing it like every day almost. Yeah, I just I don't like I I don't follow. This might be a little surprising. I don't follow his Twitter feed as much as I follow people mentioning him. Okay. I check people mentioning him probably a dozen times a day, maybe more, but I don't look at his Twitter feed maybe once every couple of days, and then I just catch up on if he's done anything that, that would be kind of amusing to retweet or maybe really <laughs> so boring and banal that it would be funny just to put up there. But it's, it's, it's a really – he seems like a really genuine and really nice guy in a lot of ways, which – in some ways makes me glad because yeah. if I found out he was a complete fucking asshole, it would be really hard to tell people to, hey, let's talk about him for <laughs> two, uh, 90 minutes every couple of weeks. But um, but also it makes me feel like, well, I, I don't want to – I don't think we feel a need to tear into the guy necessarily. But you know, I'm, I also uh, – because this is supposed to be for fun and it's yeah. supposed to be light. It's not supposed to be serious criticism and, and he doesn't deserve serious criticism. He seems like a guy who's come – uh, to, to some sort of peace with his career and where it is right now. But I, there was that thing today where he said something like that he was addicted to acting or something like that, <laughs> which I thought was such a funny, funny thing. It's like if I, ever got a chance, if I ever got a chance to talk to him, I mean the first thing I'd have to ask is why so much? Why so many projects? I honestly think why? he would be on your show like because of how many projects he's on. And like you talked about Revelation Road in the last one where he just sits at a desk for like five minutes. It like, is literally – like in five minutes is, is, is actually more than he's literally in the movie. I think it's yeah. maybe like three and a half, four minutes and he has like a couple of lines and all, is not involved in the plot in any way. Now it's probably <laughs> setting up a larger – maybe – Maybe, slightly yeah. larger role in the follow-up since the movies were obviously made to be done as a pair because it, it, that movie literally ends right in the middle of like the, like the apocalypse happens, the rapture happens, yeah. and then like 20 minutes later the movie's over and it's like, well, I guess we are supposed to watch the sequel, which I'm not going to do for a long time. But that conversation – sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, that conversational part of it, which is the question of why does he do so many Christian movies if he doesn't consider himself a Christian, I thought was the most interesting part of that conversation. Uh, it's, it's, it's still a, something that I feel like I don't have a good answer for. Maybe he just doesn't give a shit. I mean, I mean, I think you should ask him on, honestly, because I think he'd be into it. I think he might be into the fact that anybody really cares. No, people care about him. Well, I know, but like, people that cares like that much, like that, because he's getting interviewed by like that Christian thing. But is he getting really interviewed anywhere else that much anymore? Oh yeah, I mean, again, it, when especially when someone has had a large chunk of celebrity, even if it's really tailored off and tapered off, it could be decades afterwards. And even if now he's on celebrity wife swap or celebrity goat stories and shit, as opposed to starring in Hollywood movies, he is still a famous man. And he, if only because his sister is still one of the most famous people on earth. Right. But, uh, and, well, but his I mean, daughter is pretty famous too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about his daughter. I know I she's she, famous. I think she, she had a Nickelodeon my show. <laughs> What's that? I think she had a Nickelodeon show for a while. I think so. I know uh, in the Eric Roberts Google alerts that she recently <laughs> broke up with her fiance. Oh. And I'm like, I don't care. And I'm not going to talk about that because that's exactly <laughs> the kind of shit that doesn't interest me at all. No, I, I, think that you might be underestimating his level of fame slightly Maybe. if only because because in the 80s at the very least i mean the guy was nominated for an academy award right i mean it's not like he wasn't at one point fairly well respected as yeah. an actor and even now th this is the thing about these projects even though they're super low budget and most of them are probably near unwatchable all the all the advertisements all the trailers they're always super 
fucking happy that they have Eric Roberts in them. Oh, I know. <laughs> it'll be like, it'll be like uh, four no- people you've never heard of, and it'll be like, and Academy Award uh, <laughs> nominee <laughs> Eric Roberts. Like, I watched that Cowboys versus Dinosaurs movie a couple of days ago <laughs> that he's in, yeah. and he's, he's, he seems to be having a lot of fun in that, but he's only in that one for two scenes in the entire movie, but that movie is, is basically uh, built on appearances by him and an actor named Vernon Wells, who was the um, one of the bad guys from Mad Max 2, uh, and he, he was a bad guy in Commando, if you've ever seen that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Uh, he's wearing, like, the chain mail. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's... Yeah, that, it's th- one of those th- actors. Th- one of the bit, bit actors in huge films that, yeah, just still exists in these things. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea is, you're right, maybe at some point there will be an acknowledgement uh, where he, he's like, oh, this is something that exists. But I, I would not be shocked to discover that he wasn't happy that someone was examining his life and career to this extent. But he clearly enjoys it. I think he'd be interested to talk about this with, like, a couple of these films within the context of his career. Like, don't you think... Because, I mean, that's what I was trying to say about the other interviews. It's like, they're mostly probably bullshit. They're probably not, like, um, WTF or Fresh Air or whatever. He probably... You know, sorry? Yeah, it's a really good... No, no, you know, you're not interrupting me. I'm interrupting you. Uh, but <laughs> I have a, 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 a friend... Uh, a really good writer, a really good interviewer, and he interviews people for the Onion AV Club. Okay. Uh, and he, he does this series on there called Random Roles, which usually he's interviewing uh, character actors or lesser-known actors, but still famous people. And then he's going through their career, usually talks about the first movie or first TV show they ever did. And then he goes through their career kind of randomly, picking out roles and having them tell anecdotes about them. And he's done that with Eric Roberts a few times. He's obviously really? interviewed him quite a few times at this point. And it's interesting because he's exactly the kind of person that you'd want doing a thing like that, right? Because he has yeah. so much shit he can talk about and even these things he does for like a single day there's probably some story involved with it right but yeah right. he still gets inter- i mean i imagine he still gets interviewed weekly just because even having to promote these little projects he still needs to, to do promotion right by now but those are just mostly like like the yeah, they're bullshit. Throw away bullshit yeah. yeah plus i think it'd be i don't know so he's already doing it with the av club guy but like it just seemed like it might be something attractive to somebody like him who's sort of living on the sidelines right now but to like talk to something to people that are really interested in his career and really interested in what he's been doing and why he does and everything it might just be i don't know it might be fun for him just to... <laughs> it, it could evolve to that point maybe something i mean i i, I don't it would depend on how malleable he was to the whole idea. But with the recognition as well that we're not just covering his movies and not just his TV shows, but his reality show appearances and, and talking about him in a way that isn't entirely complimentary. Because for one thing, who the fuck – I mean honestly, A, who would listen to an Eric Roberts podcast anyway? But yeah. especially who would listen to an Eric Roberts podcast that is just us giving him verbal blowjobs the whole time every – Episode, but it's, right? it's not just that, though, too. Actually, I was going to mention this earlier, is that you talked about not being serious film criticism, but I've listened to the, all of them so far, and it seems like the vast majority of the podcast is you guys like actually critiquing these films and not really focusing on him too much, especially like Revelation Road, because he's in so little. You guys spend a lot of time like actually dissecting these films, the motivations of them, the, the techniques of them, everything. Like It's actually... A, it seems like Eric Ross is more of a launching off point just to talk about these films a lot of times, and then just comes back to him at the end. And of course, because I, I am someone who guests on a lot of podcasts that are critical podcasts, it makes sense that, of course, it's going to go that way. But it was also something that I 
like I have bullet points of things I want to cover when we're talking about every episode. Not set questions usually, but just bullet points of things that we should hit. Uh, but for something, and especially when you talk about his work since, say, 2011, how the fuck are you going to talk for <laughs> a half hour or 40 minutes about, a mo- about his performance or him in general about a movie that he barely appears in? And I mean, that, this is going to come down to like um, – Eventually, we're going to have to talk about his music video appearances, right? Where he's been in like five music videos, a bunch of uh, the killers. He was in a couple of their videos. He was in the one for Mr. Brightside and things like that. And uh, like vocal work in like animated series. He's on, he was on that Justice League cartoon. Oh, really? Uh, like the Bruce Tim one? Yeah, the Bruce Tim one. The 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 when they went when they <laughs> I don't I don't I'm not going to pretend I know too much about it. I don't. But either. when they switched <laughs> from Justice League to Justice League Unlimited, one of the episodes is an adaptation of uh, an Alan Moore story called For the Man Who Has Everything. Uh, it's a Superman-based story, and it's really good. It's one of the it, and, and I've only seen a few episodes, but I can say that it's a really high-quality one. And Eric Roberts does the voice of a character who I should be able to name right now, but I can't. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine. But I'll tell you, if I, just, uh, if I use the uh, power of the internet, I can tell you that... <laughs> He <laughs> is Mongol, uh, apparently a fairly well-known character in the, the DC universe. <laughs> Got me. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's done that voice in three different episodes of that same character. So, I mean, you know, it's just another weird thing that we'll have to watch and talk about. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, y- you, thankfully, were trying to help me track down some of his uh, yeah. <laughs> appearances on a soap opera from a couple of years ago. Yeah. It was shockingly difficult to track down anything like even clips and things were yeah. really hard to track down i didn't know what like i don't even know i can't remember what it was labeled as what i found but like it wasn't labeled like what i would have searched for it was we talk about disposable <laughs> entertainment like soap operas must be the most disposable kind of entertainment because once that day is over people don't give a shit it's not like you're gonna have compilations yeah. the only soap opera i think i've seen get like any sort of release was that uh dark shadows one yeah. from the 70s right because people are kind of semi-obsessed with that and there's <laughs> that cult aspect around it but if you want to watch like an episode of another world from 1986 you're kind of shit out of luck it must be really hard to do yeah i mean i found like some like time shift things like i don't, I don't know what it's called but um like just these blocks of shows and stuff on my spleen like because they'll have just whatever yeah. like 12 hours of abc during this day with all the commercials exactly but yeah they didn't have any for that period unfortunately but yeah like i i figured they're like there must be some soap opera tracker out there that's for right but there isn't as far as i can tell I mean, if there is then it's one that is well hidden yeah and maybe maybe the the networks who put on these so, Bobbers, you think they wouldn't give a shit, right? You think it's like, yeah. well, we're never putting this out in a DVD box set. We're never tossing it again on Netflix. So you might as well just just take it and at least give it some sort of eternal life. But uh, wherever it might be, I mean, there's probably some sort of underground message board where they post all the episodes. But uh, I, I know that you're probably – from what I know of you, I bet you're pretty good at looking for those things. And I'm pretty good at looking for those things. And I found very, very little. I did find out that – um there was a point when there was more on YouTube, but then CBS pulled all of them. Yeah, right? And if, that's not surprising. But, yeah. you know, you, even when that happens, you usually find remnants, right? More remnants than we found. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's so fucking weird. <laughs> but, but I love this part of it, too, because now I'm, I'm in the – I'm facing the possibility that within five or six episodes of this podcast, his most well-known movies are going to be covered because he made some famous movies, but not so many of them. Like in the eighties, he only made like seven or eight, maybe 10 
probably maybe that's underselling it a little bit, maybe 12 movies all throughout that entire decade. So once you cover all of those, then they're covered. And now you're left with things that are not as interesting necessarily. Are maybe you, you are you covering all of them up front? Uh, the idea initially was to pair a well-known movie with one that was less well-known. Mm-hmm. But what I when I started to approach people, a lot of them they were like, "Oh, can I talk about this? Can I talk about this?" Uh, and I'm like, "Well, I mean, if you're really enthusiastic about it, then of course. I mean, the important thing is to have someone on here to talk about it." Now, for me. The more interesting movies are the ones that nobody knows about. Right. But the one that's going to get people to listen to the show is something like on the next episode that we're going to be recording, which is a movie from 1990 called The Ambulance, which a lot of people don't know, but it, it's directed by a guy named Larry Cohen. Oh, Larry shit. Cohen. Okay. Larry Cohen did a uh, lot of exploitation movies in the 70s. Yeah. He did a movie called God Told Me To. And yeah, King I the love Wind. that fucking film. Yeah, With- God Told Me To was amazing. He yeah. wrote Maniac Cop and. Yeah. <laughs> He also did, uh, what's it called, Q the Serpent? Wing Serpent, that's Wing right. Serpent. Yeah, and, With um, Mike Moriarty, which is such an amazing movie. Yeah. Uh, and Larry Cohen did The Ambulance in 1990, and that's a really good movie. And we're also covering The Dark Knight, which you can't get much <laughs> bigger. And so kind of ridiculously, like way too big, because what the hell are we going to talk about that's going to be new? So i got to find some sort of twist on the conversation, because especially that movie really does have Eric Roberts in only like two scenes. And one of them, I think he's being dropped off a building. <laughs> Which is pretty interesting. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's probably not even him anymore. It's probably a stunt double at that point. You get him in on, for one day, and then you, for the rest of it, it's maybe a computer-generated stunt double. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> That's kind of amazing, actually, that probably most of his screen time is probably not him. <laughs> He's a busy guy. I don't know if you saw. You probably didn't see this because I posted mostly on the, on the Facebook group, but... Uh, like one of the things that started coming up on his Twitter um, when I did a search for his name on Twitter recently was he was at some sort of convention a couple of days ago. Oh, I saw that and, on his Twitter feed, actually. All yeah, the so, people. <laughs> so we saw all these pictures and I don't know what happened to him, but he has this Band-Aid underneath his eye. Yeah. So and he, every single person that he's having the photo with, and he, again, he really does seem like a really nice guy. He's got his arm around them. It's oh, he's great hugging them. them. Like He's basically hugging them. Yeah. So you have like six or seven photos of all these people b- buddying up to Eric Roberts with this Band-Aid under his eye. It's just so kind of surreal. It's great, actually. Yeah. but it's, uh, an, it's an enormous Band-Aid, too. Like, it's a really <laughs> fucking big Band-Aid. And of course, it's like, who am I to even wonder how that happens? People, people <laughs> cut themselves all the time. Yeah. But now that I've, I've been forced by my own hand into this obsessive role, I have to be like, I wonder how the fuck he beat his face up. Maybe he fell down on a set or something. Or even just down the stairs or something. Like, it's just been Maybe. completely innocuous. Because, <laughs> of course, it's com- something completely innocuous. Yeah. <laughs> because he's an actor doesn't mean it has to be some kind of great story. <laughs> he was fighting off some some dinosaur. <laughs> I'm going to ask him on here to follow up you so I can ask him now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, they're going to tell what the rest is about. Just like, hey, what's with the Band-Aid? <laughs> and just end it there. <laughs> Another thing that has happened recently, and I can tell you this because I'm not – because this is separate from the Eric Roberts podcast, yeah. is that I've run into people who are just really big Eric Roberts fans, mm-hmm. like on Twitter, people who just message him all the time and seem to be super obsessed with everything that he's doing in a way that probably isn't as fun. <laughs> Have you looked at the forum at all yet? Sorry, the one on his website? Yeah. No. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's not active anymore. Like, everybody got off of it. But, like, yeah, people His were, like... It looked like it was made in 2002. Yeah, but people were posting there till like, a year or two ago. 
Well, I mean... <laughs> And they were posting like happy birthday to his daughter and stuff. It was really weird. Like poems to him, I think. Well, I mean, someone who had, say, someone who had a huge amount of fame and was very visible in the 1980s. Now you have people who were young at that time who are older now, of course, but people who are in like their 40s and maybe are still kind of obsessed with that celebrity nature. Of that time period, they still see him as that famous person from that time period. Well, and that the fucking soap opera like two years ago. Like. Well, that's another thing which has a whole crowd of people, right? Yeah. But now, now I find myself in conversations with people, you know, just trying to be nice because, again, they're going to listen to the podcast because they're obsessives. <laughs> but also, you know, where it it seems like th- that they see him as someone who can do no wrong, which <laughs> that would be really bad if I ever fell into that belief that yeah, that this guy who makes so many movies. Which really are so hard to watch can be can be like blameless in every choice that he makes. Honestly, what we came the conclusion that was sort of reached on that most recent episode we were talking about faith based movies, faith based filmmaking, and why he does those movies. Th- th- that conclusion is not something I necessarily even agreed with, which is that an actor holds no responsibility for the roles he chooses oh, totally, when yeah. it, when it theoretically will be promoting a belief system he doesn't believe in. Yeah, because like, uh, you can't just I, per, like appear in like clan propaganda and say like I'm just an actor, <laughs> right? And I guess there's for every actor there's a line, right? Uh, and and uh, we mentioned like Stephen Baldwin, and Stephen Baldwin's a guy who almost only does faith based movies now, which is so weird. I had no idea about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. If you if he falls out of the public view for a while, how would you know? Wait, wasn't he? No, it was Billy that was on that TV show. That's another thing, right? Because Alec Baldwin is, is a very liberal-minded person and very vocal about that. Yeah. And his, father, his uh, brother be such a right-wing uh, Christian propagandist. Which one are you, are you talking about? Steven still or Adam now? Oh, we're talking about Steven. Okay, because Adam is the one that coined Gamergate. Yeah, you know, that he's not a member of their family. He's not oh, a brother. Oh, he isn't? I, no, I, know, I, I was shocked the first time I discovered that. I think I learned was, that, actually, and I forgot. <laughs> yeah, no, he's not a member of the family, which is weird because, yeah, he's a little... No, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna mince words. He's a complete nutcase. Oh, totally. Like I said, he fucking coined the term GamerGate, and and took that side to such a weird degree, considering he's not exactly known as a guy who likes to play a lot of video games. Oh, but that was that whole movement, though. Is like all these right wing yep. people started jumping on it. Yep. Yeah, that was intense. My my friend out here wrote her thesis about it, and she actually included me in it. She said like. Uh, she quoted me talking about, like, to be careful because, like, those people are crazy and she's a woman and she's part Thai and everything, too. So, yeah, like, she's an easy target for them to just go all out on because she represents everything they hate Absolutely. about video games right now. It, it started – and because of the conspiracy theory aspect of it as well, yeah. uh, it means that, that even something that a person does that's fairly innocuous can be jumped on and – could lead to so i mean and really considering how far they were going with posting addresses and sending threats and things like that it's it i can it makes for a really interesting essay topic because i think in a few years hopefully we'll look back on it and it'll be like this kind of mass psychosis that happened all at once i mean i hope so but it's sort of like (laughs) one that keeps happening with like jade helm and stuff too (laughs) i mean you're right And, and and maybe it's Oh, man, sometimes it feels like it's all sort of building up to something. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that's because we're movie fans, though, probably. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but also it just seems like like there's a tension that exists yeah. in a lot. I mean, and, 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 and we're – and because of the internet, we're a lot of real minority opinions and 
and and really specific niches can come together, and it makes you feel like you are part of a larger group than you're actually part of. Yeah. And sometimes that and, – and, and it's great. I think in, in some ways, in fact, most ways, that's a really great thing because it means that people who have uh, what were very niche opinions, they can feel like they have people they can communicate with, that they're part of a larger group. People don't have to feel as alone anymore. There's that ability to feel part – like part of a community, which I think everyone wants to feel. Uh, but it also means that – these niche opinions, you gain momentum and it feels like they have all this power just because they're willing to sort of consolidate all of their influence, even if it, in the grand scheme, it's very small, it makes it seem really big because it doesn't take much for someone to find out, say, where someone lives or call a venue that they're going to be speaking at and, and, uh, and, and threaten people there. Right. All it takes is one twisted person. And <laughs> even in the groups I'm in, you can usually find one twisted person. So... Does any of this fear you have of these niche groups feed into your fear of uh, Eric Roberts fans? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're, eventually. You I think mean, they're they, going to take over? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, suddenly, they suddenly all decide, you know what? We need to make this guy a mainstream star again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they just start bombing fucking WB and stuff. <laughs> I, uh, I, I would not be shocked to discover that within the next three years, and this might be, uh, this might be a strange thing to suggest that within the next three years, someone is going to give Eric Roberts a role in a movie, a mainstream movie, and he's going to have a sort of new renaissance. Well, we talked about that last time a little bit. Yeah. That like it seems like it's gonna he's gonna have like his Mickey Rourke moment, moment kind of. Because he seems like because he doesn't seem at this point he, he's has a normal semi normal family life. He seems fairly centered. He doesn't seem like he's out doing a lot of crazy shit he's he's a you know he's middle-aged maybe even a little older yeah. um and and people still cast him in larger things even if they're just small roles so it's not like he's completely removed from the hollywood movies so all it would take would be one director who are, who's like i gotta give this guy a role that really shows what he can do i mean yeah. obviously mick Rourke thinks that he can still pull it off <laughs> yeah like they, he could he'll have his uh his uh, Darren Aronofsky or Kevin Smith or whatever, just somebody that's going to find him that actually has a bit of a budget and just say, like, I want this person to be back. And do you think you'll have any part in that? No. No. <laughs> no. I, I, I don't I, – I, there's no facetiousness there at all. I, I know the number of people at this point who are listening to this podcast. Uh, I know what I'm aiming for. The kind of people that I want to be listening to this are people who are going to be entertained with the conversation, but – the only person who's ever going to listen to a podcast about Eric Roberts are either people who already know who he is and know what he's capable of, or B, people who just want to hear guys talk about movies that are different, yeah. and shitty or not shitty, but just have a conversation about movies. And there's lots of people who listen to those kind of podcasts. Yeah, that's what so, I've enjoyed about it so far. It's just, like I said, like you guys like really get into it. Like These are films not being discussed anywhere. Yeah, that, and that's exactly it. And that's where the movies I write about over at Daily Grindhouse and I talk about on, on my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, the whole idea of it is very few people are talking about these movies. And those who are talking about them are not treating them seriously. Right. So even if I'm not going to treat them so seriously, like I'm going to to pick them apart like, like they've been – like they've had the budget of something like a Hollywood production, I still can treat it like, well, what are the questions that are the important questions to ask about this movie? Yeah. If it is – everyone has a strong opinion when it comes to faith-based films. I'm, if one of the guests that we have on happens to be particularly religious or a big fan of those kind of movies, we have to be able to accept that opinion. I didn't pick someone 
for that episode because I thought he had a strong negative feeling towards it. But that's a conversation that's worth having, and I take an interesting conversation over anything else. Yeah, because you definitely what you do is like you don't prop them up and you don't approach them ironically or anything which is so fucking popular now for some reason you just um it's just very on the level the whole way through sorry about that i forgot to warn you guys that that one ends abruptly uh just we then began talking for like another half an hour about feminism and stuff so you don't need to hear that shit. Um, we're both pro, but again, pointless. Anyway, up next is a voicemail from Lara, it seems. Lara Conifer from the first episode and the one who introduced me to Tom Baker, uh, who was episode six, I believe. UFO guy. So let's hear whatever the fuck it is that Laura has to say. from Laura Conifer of what I'm assuming is a clip from the cult favorite thing uh, Shut Up Little Man or the sons of those two men are alive and exist and are living next door to Laura in Columbus, Indiana for some reason Check back next week for a couple of interviews with Philadelphia singer-songwriter Jeanette Lynn. One is normal, one 
uh, isn't. Also next week, I'm off a brief discussion with the host of the new pop culture podcast, Fixed Stare with Josh and Dan. They'll introduce themselves and give a quick rundown of what to expect. It's not released yet, so don't go looking for it unless you're listening to this in the future. In which case, I hope you've found a way to solve racism and America's gun culture. Uh, in the meantime, check out Doug Tilly's podcasts, No Budget Nightmares and Erica vs. the Fucking Man, wherever you download your pods from. And follow him on Twitter. I don't know his name on Twitter. I can't pronounce it. So just add a Daily Grindhouse one. They'll probably follow you back within like five minutes from all three of his can- accounts. Also, check out Doug, not Doug, uh, fuck, what's his name? The UFO Guys podcast, Tom Baker, automated music podcast, because it features music from me, my girlfriend Jill, and my buddy John, his band Lost Puppies, which you're listening to right now, my band Bloodloaf, and Jill's band Mother Whore. There's a link to it on the undressingunderground.tumblr.com. Also, while you're there, submit your ideas for guests or comments on this week's episode or do whatever uh, you can find a link to my patron account so you can give me more money or any money nobody gives me money except for my job which pays me $11 an hour so if you're not happy with the quality of this it's not going to approve anytime soon <laughs> I got through that all really quick. Uh, I guess while you're on the website, you can also submit your short stories or poems in the comments section or via email or on Twitter at FalconVane. You can also send them to me on OKCupid. Same name, FalconVane. Falcon like the bird, vein like the stuff you're shooting up into your arm right now if you're listening to this, I imagine. Uh, you can also call the podcast at 260-PUNK-POD. That's 260-786-5763. Leave me or us or whatever you want to refer to my existence and that of this podcast. Or tell us a short story, poem, whatever. You can literally do whatever and I will play it at the end of the next episode. Oh, and donate some money if you want to hear some extra stuff from Doug Tilly or from other people that I forget. If you donate a buck or two a month, I'll uh, send you some extra tea time since there is none this week. I guess I should stop talking because the music's out. There'll be more tea time eventually, though. Don't worry about it.